Hello and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman and today I'm here with a special guest, Logan, better known as Smash Up Savant on our Discord server. Thanks for coming on the show, Logan. Uh, happy to be here. So I have Logan on the show because he is our resident expert when it comes to My Little Pony. And this episode is going to be all about Ponies the Galloping 2. It's the second set of My Little Pony inspired cards that are going to be releasing as a secret layer drop um, as part of Child's Play charity release. So we're going to go through the four cards included in this secret layer drop. Logan's going to give us the lore on the characters and talk about how it aligns with the design. Then we're going to talk about how they fare as commanders or potentially in the main deck of other decks in the format. So I think we can jump right in. We're going to start off with Applejack. This is two green-white for a 4-4 legendary creature pony. She has Family Gathering. At the beginning of your end step, put a toy you own onto the battlefield as a 2-2 creature token with that toy's name, colors, and creature types. If the toy has wings, the token has flying. If the toy has a horn, scry two. And if it has neither, create a food token. All right, tell us a little bit about who Applejack is. Uh, sure thing. Yeah. Um, Applejack in the series uh, represents the element of honesty. Each of the uh, main six represents a different element. And I have to say is that it doesn't seem like that's really reflected in the card ability here. Um, something like a liar's pendulum effect or bluffer fish or Frankie peanuts style effect from the other silver voided sets could have helped to emphasize honesty and truth telling. Um, and so while the card ability kind of fails on that depiction of her element, the design really nails what Applejack is mainly known for, which is a uh, family friends and food um, being green, white makes uh, perfect sense considering that, Applejack lives on an apple orchard and uh, loves to bake and uh, prepare food. So a uh, food token just seems uh, natural. Um, Applejack creates a 2-2 token each turn, uh, which represents the three main types of ponies, either winged pegasi, horn unicorns, and sturdy earth ponies. Um, you can opt for wings and horns to get scry and flying, which would technically be an alicorn. Um they also say you can use any toy you like, not just limited to MLP. I listened to the uh, discussion about the design for these cards, and they said that it was originally supposed to be kind of like the rarity from the previous set, limited to My Little Pony toys. But they realized it was more fun to expand it to any toy. So I think that's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, the Any toys without wings or horns represent the Earth Ponies, which create uh, food tokens. It's possible to use... Um, Applejack to generate toys of the other main six, which makes it easier to win with Twilight Sparkle's ability. Um, it should be known that Applejack is a 4-4, which makes her twice as strong as the rest of the main six, makes her as strong as Princess Luna from the previous set. Um, I can see that uh, the color section of the toy can be a headache with protection and similar effects because toys can be any color really but again that's kind of the nature of silver bordered uh cards um yeah and and i think the like ability to affect the toy's name or like 
to have some control over the the toy's name <laughs> is kind of interesting. Uh, so I asked uh, Chris K. Mooney, who is the uh, de- the designer who created these um, ponies, the galloping, uh, and. Uh, According to Chris, um, if you have a toy that's not of a named character from some IP, then you get to decide its name, provided that that's like the toy's actual name that you call it outside of the context of that game. (laughs) So, you know, if you've got like uh, a a teddy bear that you've had for a a decade or whatever, and it's called Ted, uh, that has to be its name within the game. You can't like rename it for mechanical purposes. But there, it is kind of interesting that, like, you know, if I get a toy today and decide, okay, this is going to be named like Breath Stealer, and this one's going <laughs> to be named, you know, uh, something that is like some name that is mechanically relevant, um, you can absolutely do that. So it's in that sense, it can be sort of like a spy kit for effects that like care about specific card names. Applejack, I think they did a uh, really. Uh, good uh, job just finding some way to incorporate the different pony races of Pegasi Unicorn, Earth Pony in there. Um, I just don't feel like this design really reflects who um, Applejack is. It feels, from a character perspective, like this could have easily been uh, Pinkie Pie. Both Applejack and Pinkie Pie are known for baking, and so the food tokens could have worked uh, for either of them. And then mm-hmm. having a new pony show up each turn would have felt very appropriate for Pinkie Pie's party growing larger and larger as the game goes on. Like, you could have just taken Applejack's ability and given it straight to Pinkie Pie. I don't think anybody would have batted an eye. Um, you know, Applejack cares about family, so generating a 2-2 every turn that creates a food token feels very flavorful. But the apples are all Earth ponies. And so opening up to unicorns and Pegasi doesn't quite fit the, the theme of family. Um, now... Applejack uh, has the strongest ties to Ponyville, which was founded by Earth Ponies, and so Unicorns and Pegasi eventually moving there. And so having her tied to the land and welcoming all different pony races feels pretty on theme. But I have to say, out of all of the main six, from a flavor perspective and tying abilities to what the character is known for in the show, Applejack's not as clean and neat as all the other characters. Yeah, and I think this, uh, looking at it as a commander, I think this one provides like sort of the the least amount of direction uh compared to the other ponies in this release um so applejack like okay you get a 2-2 every turn um and in some cases you might it might be a 2-2 with flying or you might be able to scry but it's just not a very significant reward for a four mana commander uh especially considering like all the other commanders in this release are cheaper and they and generally do more. Um, and unfortunately, this is also not the best color identity for being able to affect the name of your permanence. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're trying to uh, mess around with names, like you probably want blue in your color identity because like BioVisionary is one of the <laughs> biggest rewards for, for being able to control the names of your cards. Um, so not having access to that, like there really limits what you're able to do with that ability. Um, so I, I like what you said about using it in the main deck of Princess Twilight Sparkle just to make it easier to get that alternate win condition. 
by um, by making you know tokens of your right. You make a Pinkie Pie text. rarity, Fluttershy, Rainbow Dash, and and then you win the game. I think if they would have released Twilight and Applejack with this ability in 2019, I think you would have had a lot more people trying to build Twilight Sparkle decks because you would have actually been able to win once you tutor out Applejack and then just wait four turns to get the other ponies and then win. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, was kind of a you honestly they could have just like replaced these two like if they had put Applejack in the first release and then like Twilight Sparkle wouldn't have had you know three or four years where it just didn't work. Um, yes, that would have been nice. But anyway, well, I, I I will say that having Twilight Sparkle with that ability kind of uh, gave people hope that hey maybe the someday they'll make the rest of the characters so it'll actually work is kind of like a, a big tease. So like Tarmogoyf hitting at Planeswalkers before they came out. Yeah, but Tarmogoyf, I mean, uh, Tarmogoyf still did something. <laughs> <laughs> True. Not a big deal, whatever. We've got them all now. Uh, and do you want to move on to the next one? Sure thing. So the next one is Fluttershy. It's one green white for a zero four legendary creature Pegasus. She has Defender and Flying and she has one tap Put a plus one plus one counter on each creature with a tail target player controls. Stare down up to one target creature until end of turn. Which And stare down means it can't attack or block as long as you're looking directly at it. All right, uh, tell us about Fluttershy. Well, Fluttershy is uh, my personal favorite of the main six. So I was eagerly uh, anticipating seeing what this one would be and seeing how well it works uh, flavor-wise. And I'll spoiler alert i think it's a big flavor win she is the element of kindness in the series she has a soft spot for taking care of animals so much so that she opened up a wildlife sanctuary in the show to care for them fluttershy having zero power uh, toughness of and defender really hits home her position of one who avoids confrontation um though it should be noted that even though she starts with zero power she can slowly buff herself by using her tap ability to put counters since she of course has a tail um and caring about creatures with tails is an interesting way to batch animals together. Uh, I can see uh, a line probably needing to be drawn between genuine animals and anthropomorphized animals, you know, unless they have prominent tails in the art. I, I just think about New Capenicet they had recently, which had a lot of animal characters, but are, yeah, do they have yeah. tails? <laughs> yeah, I wondered that uh, as I was looking um, at different creatures, like... Do all rhino folk on all planes have tails? <laughs> Unclear. I don't know if I can run my rocks faith mender or whatever I'm trying to do in this Fluttershy deck, have it be effective. Right, exactly. And, and that's one thing I was also going to ask. Are we supposed to care about the creature type or the card art? So, for example, a humanite on a horse, you know, is that an, does that count as an animal because his steed has a tail? What about Allosaurus Rider? It's it's technically an elf warrior. It's not an Allosaurus Rider, although that takes up is prominently featured in the art. Yeah, um, I, I leaned towards. So uh, we have a Fluttershy list in the episode description. Um, for this, I leaned towards uh, assuming that like the knight's horse wouldn't count. Like that's not what the card is about, you know. Um, and that led to like a lot more restrictive choices. But I can let me see if I can get uh, the designer to answer that one or if that's been answered already. But I'm leaning towards no, it's a human knight. It doesn't have a tail. Yeah, 
I, I think that's fair. And plus, there's still plenty of animal options there, even if you're excluding a lot of the, you know, character riding an animal and and not having that count because the focus is, you know, like you said, the knight. Um, it is worth noting that Fluttershy's tap ability is political, that you can use it to help buff other people's creatures. But it also seems like a he- headache because not only do you have to pay attention to the tales and the art of all of your cards, but then you also have to scrutinize the art of all the creatures owned by the player you choose to buff. So <laughs> I don't know how often it's going to be used in that political sense or if it's just going to be more trouble and it's worth because now you're having to determine what they have that qualifies as a tale. Yeah, yeah. That can get tricky. At least when you're building your own deck, um, you're going to pick cards where it's unambiguous. Right. Um, now, it, it should be noted that the... Well, I'm hoping that maybe they'll come up with on Scryfall with a Tails category just to sort easily, kind of like what they've done with similar other art categories. Let's we'll have to see. Yeah, um, I checked out... Um, like So the, the syntax on Scryfall is a tag, colon, and then whatever you're trying to get. So there are some things tagged with tails. So like a tag tail does return some results, but I'm certain it's not comprehensive. And so you're going to have to until like the, the art taggers, those faithful public servants like really get up to date on this. Um, you're probably going to have to do your own searches or you can just check out the sample list. We have in the episode description, whatever works for you. <laughs> nice. Um, it should be noticed that the stare down is optional if there's nothing that you want to stare down you can still use the ability to get the counters um and it can target uh, any creature uh so unless you're a chameleon though you should only be able to stare down one creature at a time if you have any like <laughs> untapped shenanigans going on sure sure and speaking of untapped shenanigans i want to just highlight some pieces of tech for this deck uh, i think that if if your goal is just to activate like once per round of turns, sort of do it fairly, then the plus one plus one counter ability doesn't seem extremely powerful. Um, but there are a lot of ways to like untap Fluttershy repeatedly. Um, there is of course things like Seedborn Muse, but also like uh, some of the recent white cards we've seen, like White Plume Adventurer, um, Drum Bellower. And then, and then older green cards like Quest for Renewal. Um, there's also Sting the Glinting Dagger, uh, an equipment that was in Lord of the Rings that has at the beginning of each combat untap equipped creatures. And then there's some some decent, like cheap cantrips that just happen to untap things that probably aren't uh, probably aren't terrible to run. So, like I'm thinking Two Arms or Benefactor's Drop. Um, but those are some of the better ways I think to, to just get additional activations for, for Fluttershy. And then of course there's many, many cards that double up or add an additional counter when you're putting counters on things. So like Conclave Mentor, which, uh, is itself a centaur and has a tail prominently, (laughs) uh, branching evolution, um, just, uh, similar effects like that, uh, Lazel Vlaketh's champion, a uh, lot of cards that will just get you additional value when you're activating your Fluttershy. Yeah, my first thought went to you know the old standby Thornbite staff, and then use Ashnod's Altar to sacrifice a creature, add two mana, untap Fluttershy, just 
go to town whenever a creature dies. <laughs> yeah, if you've got something that like allows you to create creatures by like removing counters, I'm thinking like a spike. Uh, what is it? Spike breeder. That might be something you could do. Mm. Um, but definitely a lot of fun angles for for synergizing with Fluttershy. Um, in addition to the the natural deck building restriction of wanting a lot of creatures with tails. Yeah, no, I I think uh, as far as uh, Fluttershy goes, I think they really um, knocked it out of the park. Uh, the fact that she can't attack, incorporating the iconic stare, uh, caring about animals specifically, just a great way to represent Fluttershy as the element of kindness. Um, it's good, can boost just uh, not just uh, your animal friends, but the animals of other players. So I think it's just a, a, a real home run from a flavor perspective. Nice. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next pony. Uh, this is Pinkie Pie. She is red-white for a 2-2 legendary creature pony. Whenever you cast a spell with a smile in its art, create a tapped treasure token. She also has every ponies invited. Your party consists of each creature you control, and your party is always full. So tell us a bit about Pinkie Pie. Yeah, um, so Pinkie Pie being red aligned uh, seems like an obvious choice. She's very chaotic. She's very random. Um, and her card abilities hone in on two of her defining traits in the series, smiles and parties. Um, casting spells with smiles in the art to create trap, uh, tap treasure tokens is a little odd since Pinkie doesn't really care about wealth or treasure that's more of a rarity or an Applejack thing. Applejack, for example, in the Grand Galloping Gala episode, was one of the ones only ones concerned with uh, earning money there while all of her friends were out there to have fun. Applejack was very business-minded, uh, always the entrepreneur of the group. But to be fair, Pinkie Pie does work in a bakery and has a history of helping other uh, ponies with their businesses. And you can always look at the treasures as party favors or decorations, which is well within Pinky's wheelhouse. And you mentioned the Scryfall earlier in the tags, and there are hundreds of magic cards with uh, smiles in the artwork. Uh, this was another one of the uh, points brought up when they were uh, discussing the design of the cards that originally was just limited to casting creature spells that were smiling. But the designers wisely expanded it to any card with a smile, of which there are a lot of instants and sorceries that have that effect. Um, I I have to say, though, that from a flavor perspective, I feel like the Pinkie Pie card is a little lacking, just because there's so many things she has going for as a character. Um, they could have made it a flip card between a happy Pinkie Pie and the sad uh, Pink Amina whenever she's... Uh, feels like her friends don't care about her anymore and she just gets very uh, depressed and whole demeanor changes. Uh, that could have been an option. Mm-hmm. But I could see them not wanting to do a flip card. They, they could have referenced the fact that she has a pinky sense, which uh, gives her a twitchy tail, a foreknowledge of danger, and defies all scientific explanation. They could have utilized her party cannon for some sort of sacrifice or direct damage effect. I mean, the cannon's featured in prominently in the art, it just seems like Pinkie Pie is sort of a missed opportunity uh, in terms of what they could have done with her design, especially since the always full party ability. I mean, it's it's cute to use party in that sense of you know a party, right, as opposed to an adventuring party. Sure, yeah. But it, 
but it doesn't really have any impact on the game unless you're using cards that utilize the party mechanic. It's pretty much glorified flavor text, honestly. Yeah, I was looking through. That's um, That definitely sticks out as one of the less useful parts of the card because there just aren't that many party cards in a red-white color identity. And, you know, even with this this significant buff to your party cards, like, you're still not going to play, like, the limited fodder type stuff. No, there's, I looked really, at... Yeah. Uh, I said there's only 15 cards in her colors which care about the party mechanic. And honestly, only five of those are really worth playing, and most of those come from the party time deck. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of on the same page where just, like, the the impact of that ability is is minimal. I'm only running a handful of party-related cards in this Pinkie Pie deck. Um, yeah, I think using the party mechanic in an unconventional way uh, is is really interesting. I feel like it just it's it just doesn't have that impact because there aren't that many instances of it. I mean, of course, if they bring party back in some sense uh, for another set, future set. Then that could make uh, Pinkie Pie, um, you know, more impactful. But as of right now, yeah, I, I think that they were trying. I get what they were trying to do. I just think that this card design kind of fell short. I think that there was so much more potential uh, Pinkie Pie had, given uh, just her impact in the show and all that she's known for. And I feel like they really just scratched the surface on this card. Yeah, uh, and also like. While there are a lot of cards where the smile is super clear cut, um, there are a lot of edge cases which um, can might I don't know might cause some arguments or something. <laughs> like Goldspan Drag, like is Goldspan Dragon smiling? Like is the face on like the Lord of the Rings uh, Commander deck Soul Ring smiling? There's just a lot of like Mona Lisa smiles in on various cards in Magic that you could really argue about. Um, that being said, there are, as you mentioned, just a lot of them um, in this color identity. A lot of iconic cards have smiles, like uh, Enlightened Tutor, the the original Mirage art, the Judge Foil um, Wheel of Fortune. Uh, There's just a decent number of like solid cards. And then there's also a little bit of combo potential opened up by P- Pinkie Pie's um, cast trigger. Because Grinning Ignis is like one of the most notable. It was like the first <laughs> card I thought of as like a card with that smiles. And so you can either like cast Grinning Ignis repeatedly to just pay one red, generate a tap treasure. Um, not not quite a combo there, but certainly a strong synergy. Um but you could also, if you have a way to, say, like, untap those treasures with an Amulet of Vigor or make additional treasures, um, there are ways to, or, like, you know, get a Burgy God of Storytelling and then you get infinite treasures. Um, there's just a lot of ways to make that into a full combo without too much difficulty. So seems like a lot of fun stuff going on uh, with this commander I generally, because of the unusual like deck building restriction, I kind of just sort of like defaulted into like a control slash value deck, just because um, like oh, okay, the you get the reward of like additional treasure, but that's not directive enough 
to make me want to do something other than just like play good cards that are smiling. Yes. Yeah. You're not necessarily going to sacrifice uh, card quality selection for theme because the, the payoff it's good, but it's, yeah, it's not necessarily deck warping. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there are some fun things. There are some fun things you can do. Um, if you amass a lot of, treasures then magda brazen outlaw seems pretty sick because she has that activated ability to sacrifice five treasures to search your library for an artifact or dragon card and put it on the battlefield and shuffle so that could be a great outlet for your treasures or you can just use them to try to ramp into big spells that seems fine too um but not incredibly um I mean, I don't think this seems incredibly different from just like a stock red white kind of control slash value list. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, you know, there's a few of the, uh, as I mentioned, a few of the party time, uh, party matters spells that you could include in here. Because that's one thing that I really think is interesting is so much potential. Because it says your party is always full. So basically anything that cares about your party being full is just always turned, you know, turned on or activated, mm-hmm. which has some real potential if they revisit this in a future set and give you some, you know, real genuine rewards for having that because it's not requiring you to have necessarily four different specific creature types. You could have just Pinkie Pie by herself is enough to mm-hmm. turn on any party related stuff. I know it's it's a shame that she doesn't have black in her color identity because the the yes. tutor that um, lets you cast the thing if its manic value is four or less if you have a full party mm-hmm. that's definitely one of the strongest party rewards but you just can't run it in Pinkie Pie's yeah. color identity unfortunately no you just need to run another pony that's uh, gives you access to all five colors. Oh, well, that's a, a pretty good segue into the next card. Uh, let's talk about Rainbow Dash. Rainbow Dash is one red-white for a 2-2 legendary creature Pegasus. She has flying and haste. And whenever a creature you control with flying and or haste attacks, you get 20% cooler. <laughs> you start at 0% coolness. And then she has Sonic Rain Boom. Tap, if you're at least 100% cool... Add white, blue, black, red, green, draw a card, and reset your coolness. So tell me about Rainbow Dash. How does this align with her flavor? Yeah, well, I will say that uh, this expansion has been sort of a a mixed bag in terms of the flavor. I thought Applejack and uh, Pinkie Pie were a little weak on the flavor. Fluttershy was kind of strong on the flavor. Rainbow Dash, I think, knocks it out of the park. Rainbow Dash is the element of loyalty. Most fan mock-ups for Rainbow Dash cards I've seen show her being Jeskai because of her lightning bolt cutie mark evoking thoughts of Lightning Angel. Um, but I think, considering the design philosophy of the main six color identity in the cards, Boris is a great choice for Rainbow Dash. Her strong will fits perfectly within Red's color pie, and due to her uh, tap ability producing Wooberg, she can be a five-color commander. Um, she has the same stats and keywords as the Sky Knight Legionnaire from uh, OG Ravnica, which I thought was kind of a nice touch, being a flying haste for 
three mana, uh, just because within the MLP universe, uh, the Pegasi are very much a militarized uh, aspect of the um, pony society. One of the early catchphrases from the series was 20% cooler in an episode in which Rarity is making Rainbow Dash a dress and she's asking for specific changes that need to be made. And Rainbow responds with a very flippant and nebulous, just it needs to be about 20% cooler, just very vague. But the uh, fandom ran with that and that became one of the early catchphrases uh, of the series, saying it needs to be 20% cooler. And so while coolness is typically tough to quantify, they made it really easy with the Rainbow Dash card. Um, And I have to say that you started 0% coolness is the most brutally honest reminder text in all of Magic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think they had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah, it basically functions the same as energy, a resource which just grows over time. You can spend it. Uh, The flavor is just a home run. And you generate coolness from creatures with flying and or haste. It fits in with Rainbow Dash and her dream to be part of the Wonderbolts, which is the Canelot's team of elite flying Pegasi. Um, but the whole ability of caring about specific uh, keyword abilities, it's been done before in Boros. Uh, it's used to denote agility and physical skill in cards like Path of Metal. So I thought it was a great uh, design space to explore with Rainbow Dash. And attacking with flying hasty creatures is what generates the coolness in 20% increments. Um, it should be noted that while some ponies like Twilight Sparkle and Fluttershy can buff your creatures up, Rainbow Dash is the only one which it rewards you for attacking. All the other ponies uh, are a little more passive, but Rainbow Dash is the in-your-face, get-into-the-red-zone-and-attack, which I think is very fitting for her character. And since Rainbow Dash has haste herself, she can use Sonic Rain Boom the turn uh, that you... Uh, player, assuming you've also attacked with five or more other flying hasty creatures. Honestly, this card could have easily worked in Black Border. You just change the coolness to energy, and make it to where you have to deplete all energy when you use the ability, and it could have worked. Yeah, um, this definitely seems like the a pretty pretty close to a Black Border design. Um, it's only just like the the way they the incrementation works that keeps it from being that way. Um, but this seems yeah. like a, a really fun commander. So I've got a, a sample list in the episode description, and there's a lot of things that work really well with this design. So naturally, um, you're going to want to just run some of the better creatures with flying across all five colors. So like, w- which isn't too difficult. You get to run things like Birds of Paradise or Fairy Mastermind or whatever. And then um, you can also run uh i think i focused on flying just because like my idea is like i'm gonna try to uh get extra combat steps because the sonic rain boom aligns really well with a couple uh extra combat step effects like najila the blade blossom so najila has a an activated ability you pay white blue black red green untap all attacking creatures they gain trample lifelink and haste until end of turn after this phase there's an additional combat phase Activate this ability only during combat. So, uh, provided you have, um, you know, enough creatures like Najila and Rainbow Dash can get you there, kind of just by themselves. With Najila granting haste to all your guys, um, and then giving you an outlet to con- 
to convert your like sonic rain boom mana into additional combat steps it's not infinite because you eventually uh draw your entire library this way (laughs) uh but you know it's it's pretty close um another card that works really well is waves of aggression so that is three and then hybrid red white hybrid red white for sorcery untap all creatures that attack this turn after this main phase there's an additional combat phase followed by additional main phase and it has retrace so you can cast it from your graveyard by discarding a land in addition to paying its other costs so that also works really well with the sonic rain boom mana you've got your red and your white in that wooberg and then all you need is you're, you're probably that's probably not going to be infinite just off of like the rainbow dash and waves of aggression interaction because you're probably not going to draw like a hundred percent lands off of her ability but if you have like any other ways to draw cards incidentally during combat then that can easily go infinite like if you've got say a reconnaissance mission coastal piracy by nathasa kind of thing then it's pretty easy to make that uh like pay for itself or like fully sustainable and since you're running just like a bunch of flyers and planning to attack every turn those kinds of cards like are a natural fit for this style of deck anyway yeah no i think that uh this is a really fun card really uh well designed i think that they went out of their way to make twilight sparkle and rainbow dash the two ponies with the five color identity to make it to where they felt the most black bordered or close to black bordered and that there wasn't any, you know, dexterity things. You don't have to balance anything on your head or stack dice or things like that. And that these five color commanders feel the closest to black border out of any of the pony ones. I think that was maybe intentional since they're more likely to be the ones piloting a deck. And so they wanted to make sure that those five color ones, uh, wouldn't be too annoying i guess you could say (laughs) yeah it totally makes sense um so what do you think now that we've gotten the main six and some sort of ancillary characters uh what do you think about the the full collection of ponies um do you feel like overall this is solid do you do you think that uh, is there any like notable characteristics that you can only see now that we've gotten this full set of them yeah, well, I want to talk about color identity for a minute. When the original set came out and you had Rarity and Twilight Sparkle both being Azorius, I didn't really get it. And I mean, they both seemed to fit that color identity well enough. And I figured, well, maybe Azorius is just the color for unicorns or, or something to that effect. Um, but seeing all six together, it, it just clicked. Is that It's basically the same thing as Avacyn Restored, where you had Sigarda. Uh, uh, Gisela and Bruna sort of orbiting Avacyn. People called them the Powerpuff Girls at the time, right? Because it was green and red and blue. But they also had white in their color identity. And the main six uh, ponies do the same thing with Princess Celestian, that you've got two that are blue-white, two that are uh, green-white, and then two that are red-white. So I just thought that was a very um, interesting way to, to represent that. Uh, but it also works just when you consider that, uh, who Princess Celestia is and all the ponies' connections to it, that they would sort of orbit her in the same way that those other angels would orbit Avacyn, and just how they're able to use color identity to convey all these uh, deeper story elements 
so I, I think that it's just a awesome way to to represent that and and I think it's much cleaner and has a, just a better through line than any of the uh, pony like custom mock-ups I've seen made up because a lot of people just focus on Pinkie Pie. It's like, oh, we'll just make her mono red because she's, she's chaotic. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that they they did a really good job in uh, saying a lot uh, for something as simple as, as the colored pips on the card. So I thought it was really good. Do you think that there is... Uh, do you think it's appropriate that none of the main six have um, black as one of their as like a main color. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that, uh, you know, black being, uh, you know, selfish and just how it's typically depicted in most magic, the gathering sets of being a very negative color. Um, the first set did have a nightmare moon, which was the, uh, you know, black aligned. And that made sense. That was the villain. But I think my little pony definitely has a very, you know, classic archetype of your good characters and your bad characters. I think that they're trying to go for a very simplistic, you know, good and evil, uh, and have it being a stark contrast. For example, Nightmare Moon is black aligned. All the other ponies are white aligned, siding with Princess Celestia. So I don't think that from what they were trying to do with these designs, that black would have worked anywhere other than with the villain. But I also know that the series has so many different uh, interpretations of the characters as it goes on. Like if they become affected by discord or if they become uh, sad, like in the case of Pinkie Pie, then they can definitely give in to their more selfish natures uh, or anger. And so I think that you could definitely use black to represent uh, that. Like if you have a rarity who's, you know, consumed by greed, that she would definitely be more, um, you know, black aligned than the Azorius that she's, is in her card. But yeah, no, I, I think that they did a great job here. And I think if they were to ever expand uh, this series into more cards, maybe the next draftable unset will be Unquestria or something. <laughs> and you can see more iterations of the ponies here. But I think that for what these are, I think they just did a, a great job uh, getting all the main six represented in card form. Yeah, well, I hope that all the uh, My Little Pony fans out there enjoy this. Getting more IPs like this represented in Magic uh, just broadens the game and makes it more fun for everyone. And there's there's plenty of IPs that I enjoy that I can't wait to see to get a similar treatment. I think with that, we can draw this episode to a close. Logan, do you have any final thoughts on Ponies the Galloping? I will say that I think that a lot of these silver bordered elements of the cards could have easily been massaged to be more black border. I mean, I get why they did it. They wanted to make it feel like a silver bordered card. So you got to do things like you got to stare at the creature, but it could have easily just been choose a creature and Fluttershy makes it so they can't attack or block. You don't need to do the physical staring thing and smile. They could have just made it like a still uh, a storm kiln artist where she just gets treasures off of incense and sorceries or something for Pinkie Pie. Uh, and so I think there's little things that they could have done to uh, make them fit more in black border, but I get why they did it. They they wanted to be silly and adds a lot of, and it does add a lot of flavor to them. It creates interesting design uh, choices or deck building things, especially with Fluttershy and Pinkie Pie, since you're looking for specific art. Yeah, yeah I think not- part of it 
might have to do with the way these were distributed. Okay, so Ponies the Galloping was sold exclusively on Hasbro Pulse, and a donation of $30 per card set was made to Extra Life. Because it's a really unusual distribution method, I think that might have influenced them to make them silver bordered so that you wouldn't have to feel like, oh, I have to pay $50 to get this set of cards because rarity ends up being like legacy playable or something. Well, in 2019, that's also right around the time of booster fun. And that was also before you had crossovers. At this point, the only crossovers that had existed were like the ponies and you had like a silver bordered Grimlock and you had a nerf crossover card that they had, I think, in that same set. Um, and the Sword of Dungeons and Dragons, of course. But those were all silver border as well. And so I think that they were still experimenting. But I, I think, in a way, the My Ponies of Galloping sort of paved the way for the deluge of IP crossovers that we're seeing now. These were sort of testing the waters. Dipping their toe into it. Well, I'm glad they did. And I think a lot of these designs are really fun. I am tempted to build a couple and, you know, it's probably not a bad idea to just pick up a copy of Ponies the Galloping 2 yourself. It is currently available for sale and it does benefit a good cause. But I think we can draw this episode to a close. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Logan, and explaining all about these characters. Definitely. Um happy to do it. Thanks everyone for listening. And all the decks discussed today are going to be linked in the episode description. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Commander Theory. And on Twitter, I am at Fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think.